Thank you so much for listening to the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast show. Today, for our guest in the artist brain, we have Nick Armstrong, a very funny man, a kind man, and a businessman. Man, Nick is someone that I've looked up to literally since moving to LA. Like when I first got to LA and started my internship at iOS, I watched King 10 and I watched Nick. And I just remember being like, man, that guy is so good. And he's a delightful person to talk to. Yeah, that was a dream. So we... Uh, <coughs> oh, God. Uh, always, oh, no. Pish. Uh, always uh, on these uh, goddamn uh, intros. Uh, 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 uh. I think you're going to have to leave that in, buddy. I think that's just part of the show. I know. I know. For whatever reason, my mess-ups are more interesting than me looking polished. So <laughs> That's a life lesson, man. It is a life lesson. You yeah. keep going even when you just look like crap. It's like Rocky Four. It's like Rocky Four. So we dug into King 10 and his time with that team and their idea of one-upping each other. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking to him about how he has trusted his gut throughout his whole life. And that's kind of led him to do all of the great things that he's done. I mean, he's one of the founders of the Improv Network. He's got camp improv utopia going he's now is running the theater rise in denver and that's all been sort of like an intuition led process and it's really cool i loved also talking about the idea that the team is made off stage and that the bonding that you do and the time that you know each other is the thing that will build your play yeah so many good nuggets in this interview we hope you enjoy listening to nick armstrong i don't think we mentioned rocky four enough you're listening to the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show. Um, if you need to cut Travis out of your life, let me know. <laughs> yeah. <Russia. laughs> I mean, I would understand. I, I would hate it and it would make me, I would be devastated and probably never recover, but I would understand. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, we can see your excellent sweater as well. Well, thank you. I call it my Captain Kirk. <laughs> nice. Very nice. It's very what's good. That, what's that a reference to? Uh, Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, um, no problem. My, my apologies about the email confusion. No, it's all good. So. I just frazzled because of the burglar alarm. Yeah, of course. Did it Did it turn out to be anything or just? Uh, it was one of our teachers. <laughs> Oh. didn't get out in time or it one of them always does it and i'll just say it was that person oh, okay like <laughs> like they they didn't after they set the alarm they didn't i don't know what they do it's not difficult you hit yeah. the button it gives you a whole like minute to get out of the you just building. have to leave it's yeah. like a hundred feet yeah <laughs> <laughs> Like, do you press the button and just like lay on the couch for a bit? And you're like, mm, I can't wait for this bomb to go off. It costs them a hundred dollars or whatever it is they charge us for that shit. Damn. Oh no. <laughs> I used to manage a bar and we'd have to set the alarm and get out. There was like eight feet to cover. It's right by the door. And every night it was like, oh, it was like a panic. It was like, no, I, I forgot my phone. No, I gotta get my phone. Like, just racing to the door. 
<laughs> That's funny. So I think we've established that Travis would be the teacher. <laughs> I would be would. the teacher for You're sure. Like, I can't get out. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I just wanted to start by talking about King 10. If I remember correctly, you joined King 10 after it had already been established. Is that right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think you're around five years or so. Oh, wow. That long. Yeah. Um, who, who was on the team when you joined? Karen, Josh Dubose, Jason Pardo, Dave Hill, Crowley, and Irene White, and Kim, and Kim Gar. Okay. What was it like joining something that was already so established. Like, was there anything that was like hard about it or that you learned from that experience? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I was ready, I think to get on the team. I was on local 132 with uh, some of my buddies, Brandon, Zach, and all those guys, Aaron. And, um, Karen was coaching us and she kind of like said after coaching us for a bit, Hey, you, we have a spot on King 10. Do you want to go? And I was like, <gasps> <laughs> you don't you kind of don't pass that up it's like you know i'm not a yankees fan it was like the yankees going hey you want to play here you know <laughs> but what was hard about it is they knew the rapport between them was so tight they were like a family i always remember it like a freight train going really fast and if you didn't get on that train you were not getting on the train it felt fast it was the fastest you know, because I was still learning a little bit. Like, I, you know, I was a younger improviser at that point. Like, I was still trying to get my own bearings as who I was as an improviser. And this forced me just to make that decision. <laughs> like, you know, like, I had to be forced just to start making decisions because they weren't going to wait. And that was a very interesting transition into like a pro team. These are pros, you know, so it was... uh Good, because they were better than me, and I always my own, my philosophy was always to play with people that are better than yourself, because that's regularly the next level, the last level you can get all the time. <laughs> you know. Wow, Pish, it sounds like you need to get on a new team. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> in case well, you don't know, Nick, Pish and I currently do a duos team. So Anatasha yeah, is saying that. I, I, I you, you, you got it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I was counting myself in that, but I guess if you wanted to be really mean. <laughs> oh man. I just, I, for, we, t- we talked about it before the show, but for the listeners, I was a house manager on Wednesday nights when King 10 had their regular show. And I was telling Anatasha and Pish before we got on here that people would kind of ask me for recommendations. Like, who should I go see? Like, what should I go see? And Wednesday night had a great lineup. There were really good shows, but I was like, the only team that literally never has a bad show is King 10. Like they are good. They are good every single night. I'm not even worried about jinxing you guys because I mean, just the way you described it, like a pro team, like that is exactly how I felt. I was like, man, I could not wait to watch King 10 every night. Y'all brought it every single night. It was and amazing. that's how I felt watching it before I was on the team. Like that was the team that my classes, when I was in class, we had to go Wednesday night to see King 10. That was like the show. And there was something magical about it. You know, mm-hmm. it was, you know, even for me as a fan, I would just, you know, and I still love it, you know, being on it. I still see it as magical. Yeah. So from like, uh, and Natasha had a way of putting it. We were talking beforehand of this unique, magical alchemy of a group like King 10. From an insider perspective, 
as we're like trying to talk about the craft of improv, is there anything that you can like piece apart that made King 10 different in that way? I think there's, there's not going to be a lot of teams like King, the King 10s and the things are very hard to make. Like, and they don't, they don't get made. They kind of organically happen. So it's like a once in a decade thing, probably that you have some of these, like the reckonings and the, all those kind of teams. It's like 1%. And I guess that's how entertainment is. It's always like the 1% of like really strong things. But what it was for all of us is we were all passionate about improv, like nerded out about it. Even today, we're just like, we run bits on the phone all the time, even though we don't play together, but we would support each other off stage. I would go see this at this person's thing or go do this. We would always go to Christmas together and we became a family. I mean, I got to join that family. It was kind of a family. And then I just think when you know people that well inside and out, you can exploit that on stage. <laughs> that was kind of our fun because we knew how to press each other's buttons and it was all fair game we always made the decision like you know we can pick anything <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you said I, I don't we, know does that answer your question Andrew I just I, it's like uh, the, the rehearsing yeah they never we never really rehearsed to be honest with you so like that mm. you you know it's just the chemistry the everybody that we just followed the basic rules of improv of like, just support the shit out of each other, make each other look good. And, you know, we added, have a fucking fun time. I I probably should now you have to put explicit on this episode. (laughs) Damn it, Nick. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah. I think that does answer the question because a big part of it, like you're saying is the unique combination of personalities that come together. But then also something that one of our coaches told us early on, which was, you know, it's much more enjoyable to watch a team that loves each other play than a team that has all the technical intellectual understanding without that. Yeah. Um, But then also just being passionate about it and doing bits off stage and really paying attention to it yourselves. And we just, we talk, we still talk about people in the business, like the things like, I don't know, we still, even though we're all older, we still nerd out about it. We still are curious about the scene today. We're like, we talk about like, oh, how is it going? You know, we just love it. And I think teams are made off stage than more than on stage. One of my Mm. favorite quotes, and to be clear, I saw it on the internet. Who knows if he actually said it, but I saw a quote from uh, Dave Pasquese who said, the only way to be really good is to play with the same people for a really long time. True. And I think there's something to that about just, it's just like the relationships of people that you love and like, you know, really well, you get that kind of intangible. I I would agree with that in the way, because like, you know, everything about each other, like you're in a marriage, like, you know, like every secret everything has been shared like you connect on a level that can't be connected on like a new team or a team that's been around for five years or you know we've been around for 20 years you know Mm -hmm. that's how many teams are doing that the idea that teams are made off stage is like i'm stealing that i really love that teams are made off stage true and it makes complete sense because you're like you just want to feel like you're watching best friends yeah, we were made in the bar to be specific, but <laughs> <laughs> off stage in the bar, I will say. I think a lot of things, good and bad, were made off stage in that bar. Oh, yeah. West. <laughs> the whole oh, spectrum boy. was definitely in that bar. Jacob and I played with Nick recently. You said something about 
like one-upping your teammate. <laughs> Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. What it, What does that mean to you? Like, and where does that come from? Uh, one-upping me is kind of more of my, say, heightening them in a fun way, like where you're digging at them a little bit, but you're advancing the scene. It's a King 10 internal style. So like, and it's not, it's just an unspoken thing. It's because we're like brothers and sisters. So we poke fun at each other. That's kind of the vibe we have. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Like if someone comes out and says something, you try to beat them like you're the younger brother trying to up the older sister or the older brother. I'm kind of like the younger brother on the team. So I'll go try to like make fun of the older guys on the team and just back and forth. So it's kind of like that one upness in a family way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's something that you can only really achieve if you all really trust each other, right? because if you have a team that doesn't know each other and they go in, there's almost like a, you're rubbing me the wrong way. But if you all really love each other and trust each other, and you know that it's coming from a place of play and fun and family, then you can kind of tease each other. And I liked that because I feel like that storm chaser has that a little bit where we are really poking at each other a lot. So, but that's your power. If you know each other for a long time, like you said, you can't do that at a younger team. Like I've been caught in a situation where I forgot what team I was playing on and I played that way. And they probably thought I was like steamrolling them and <laughs> like, you know, all this stuff. And that's just how I'm, I am like, because of just, I was on that team forever, you know? So like, it's just how I'm conditioned. Uh, but yeah. A hundred percent. That reminds that me sense. of one of the, I feel like as a young improviser, you learn a lot from watching other teams who are better than you. And I remember specifically a move you made, Nick, when I was watching King 10, that just kind of like solidified something that I had been told in class, but never really like, I, I don't know, like we always hear like have big emotional reactions, like react to something in a big way. <laughs> and I remember a King 10 show, I think Dave and Karen were your parents. And the, the, the bit was like, uh, they were really proud of your older brother because he was like a star athlete and he was like this great guy and you weren't, you know? And I think, I think Josh or somebody came in and like just kind of scene painted that on the wall, there was a, a poster of your brother on the wall. <laughs> and before they could even like get back to the wings, you turned let out a big whale and ripped the poster off the wall. It was like instant. It was like, here's this thing that I'm giving you. And you like reacted to it. I'd never seen anyone emotional react to a scene paint, first of all. And I was just like, <laughs> something in that moment, it just like clarified to me that was like, oh, that's how you do it. Like that, I get it now. And it was, I'll never forget a soul funny. That's awesome. That sounds, I don't really, I'm trying to remember, but like, that sounds right. Karen and Dave is my, <laughs> Josh was probably the older brother putting a poster of himself up on the wall, which <laughs> in turn really pisses me off. So I'll react to it and rip it off, rip his gift away. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. Because it already did its job. It only has exactly. a nanosecond. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was so good. Yeah. Was so good. That's yeah. That's the play. Do you have do you have any moments like that where you can maybe think of like seeing another improviser, like a lesson you learned from watching somebody else? And I'm putting you on the spot. Oh that. yeah. For sure. I mean, that's all I did when I was at IO. I mean, I was at IO like five days a week just watching shows and learning from everybody. There wasn't one person that I was like, oh my gosh, like I took from everybody. Like I was like, oh, 
Doug Sarine plays like this. Oh my God, Dana Powell is out of control on stage. Like, you know, like, so I took a little bit of, I can play all those people. I can turn into a Craig. I, cause he was my mentor. I can turn into a Dana Powell when I need to, uh, you know, I'm sure that's all in, in all of you guys. It's probably in you too. If you think about like your kaleidoscope of, of, uh, you know, inspiration and, you know, then you become your own person, but you still have it in there. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that this might be like a hard mental exercise, but if you could go back and like tell yourself when you were a young improviser like a, a piece of advice what do you think would have like helped you the most you know maybe around the time when you were joining King 10 and a few years in you know I think I did okay like I think I, would, <laughs> I, think I did the right steps you know? I think I yeah. It. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm honestly like I've always followed my gut I've, and I think, uh, you know, I did that before improv. Like I was also an actor before as an improv. So I learned a lot of that stuff. And, you know, I just always follow my gut and my gut when she asked me, is was like, you have to do it. Like you have to do this. When you, when I got to IO saw show and it changed my life, I was like, I have to sign up for classes. Like, you know, like mm. just the things I saw, I just said yes to before I even knew that was the philosophy of improv and just kept going. So, yeah, I just did things out of passion, not because it was going to pay you. And that paid off in the end. I feel like your guts led you to several different like business ventures in improv 100%. as well, but between the improv network and improv like Camp Utopia and Rise Comedy, were those all things that came to you also from just like a gut place of being like an idea and you're like, I get I think I have to do that. A hundred percent. I don't know where I got this because my parents weren't definitely this way. I mean, my grandma was pretty uh aggressive in that way but like i would say um yes when i came up with improv utopia it was because uh my team the night terrors which was like a jts brown team that craig Gukowski coached in la we would go camping up in the woods and do improv just on our own and i was like i was a boy scout growing up and i always loved summer camp and i felt like i'm an adult now it'd be weird if i went to a kid's summer camp without, without <laughs> children so I was like, why don't we make a camp for adults? And they're like, yeah, we're idiots. And like, you know, and then it started crudely and now it's a full on thing. And same with Rise. I was on an airplane uh, going out to Denver and I never wanted to own a theater. I was like, I will never own a theater. And I know why I thought that, but like now, but like, and so I was on the plane and something told me as I was flying to do a workshop in Denver, I was like, hey. I'm going to ask the owner if he wants to sell the place. Just see what he says. Then the rest was history. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. Because I think you just follow the things that pops up. It pops up in you some some reason. I don't just think, oh, I'm going to own a theater just instantly. Like something told me to do that. Like, you know, so it's like your gut. Whatever your gut is, it's like, well, can't deny that. I hope it just doesn't say go on a murder spree or something like that. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. But you have to, you have to follow it yeah. at this point. Well, so yeah. Watch out guys. Storm <laughs> on the list. <laughs> it hasn't led you astray before. Know, Maybe, right. you know, that you're ridding the world. You oh man. <laughs> uh, one of the things I love the most about improv is the community around improv. I'm, I feel like I'm constantly trying to convince people to, take improv classes and join improv, not so they can be better performers, but just because the community is so great. 
And when I think of people who have really like fostered that community, I think of things like Improv Utopia and the Improv Network. And like you're really, really in the forefront of that. So I just want to say thanks for for moving the community forward. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you know, you guys, it doesn't, there's not a lot of money in the game for uh, most of us in this. And you do it out of love and like, you can't love the business because the business is not lovable. It's the people. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's why you do it. What do you hope for the future of improv and whether, and, and whether, whether that's like the Denver community specifically or improv community you know, at large, do you have any hopes or wishes for the future of improv? Yeah, I hope it evolves more. I think we're a little, still a little bit lagging behind, but obviously I think the pandemic slowed that down. So it is evolving. I hope more people join that aren't just me, you know, people like me, you know, it because it's someone who's watched thousands of shows. It's more interesting to me to watch like, cause they're doing new, everybody's doing new things. And I want that. I want new things, new forms, not Harold Knight, you know, I and mean, even though I'm not, you know, dissing the Harold, I love it. I just want to see shows that are like maybe not scripted and one act plays that are fun or like even like a King Ten does like a hour and a half set, like something long, long for like if they can do it, doing interesting things that aren't just the status quo, because if we're always going to do the status quo, then it's never going to grow. So in Denver, there's definitely shows that I'm letting on stage that kind of push that a little bit and experiment. And that that Denver's a very good town of like art and they love that kind of stuff. I, you know, I don't know if they'll play everywhere. Uh, I will mention this. There was a show called Stolen House. Did you guys hear about that? Okay. Well, it was like Dassey, Jagodowski, uh, Stephanie Weir, a bunch of those guys. And there was a stage in Chicago that had a set of a play. And mm. so they came in and the director put in props and they never saw the, they couldn't see the set and they couldn't see what was in this place. So the first show I believe they did, I don't know if it, it was like, they were in like a fifties house. Like that was the set. And they just had to make characters up based on the set and do a full on play in that set mm. with those props. And That's so fun. Like that stuff is why isn't that being done every day? Yeah. That's you so know cool. what I mean? Like, why isn't that being done all the time? That's brilliant. Yeah. You know, there's got to yeah. be a dark theater somewhere that needs you to come in on a Thursday, you know, make some money. You can use their set and go. I mean, that's that stuff. I want to see that stuff. That stuff's interesting. Yeah. That's so cool. And it also creates the packaging that I think the improv sometimes lacks to sell it as a show mm -hmm. because you're like it there is something magical about watching people in process yeah. that you know it's undeniable but sometimes it's hard to package it to be like hey come see this and if they're wearing if they're on a cool set and they're they get costumed you know but it's just that the show will always be new and maybe the props are always different or something then i feel like you can actually really sell it mm -hmm. i'm like i want to be in that show that sounds so great fun. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that it's like every time I used to go to the Orange County Improv Festival, they would always have some set because they would do it at stages. And for us, like as King Ten or whoever would play down there, even us doing Kind Strangers or something, it would be like, oh, this is where we are. This is like this house, whatever this is, is going to you can't deny it. <laughs> yeah. 
That was always so yeah. fun. Yeah, we went on a run at, really as cool. Storm Chaser where if anything was left backstage, like if the sketch team had left stuff backstage, or even at one point, I think Tasha used a mop that was just there at the theater. Like we couldn't help but be like, here's stuff we can use. And then uh, we ended up, I think somebody asked us not to touch stuff backstage anymore. So we, we ended up, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, was like, Please we don't phased touch it out. But there was a, definitely a, a run where we were very, kind of taking inspiration from what was around us. So I, the, you know what? I think we got away with it for a long time. And then we were asked to stop because at one point we toilet papered the is stage. That, yeah, that, that's, <laughs> yeah. And that was when they were like, Hey, please don't touch things for the stage. And I was like, that's fair. No, noted, noted. Yep. Mm-hmm. But so anyway, the, the idea of playing on a full set just sounds like a total dream. Yeah, that's interesting because when I started improvising, I was improvising in Austin, Texas at the Hideout Theater. And their big thing inspired by P-Graph and uh, Keith Johnstone, rest in peace, was narrative improv. It was something that I was really surprised wasn't a bigger thing in Los Angeles when I came out to LA. And kind of following that train of thought, now you've moved to Denver. How How do you see that difference? between what Denver offers now, what LA offers. It's interesting how you can talk to a hundred different people around the world about improv and you get a hundred different styles of like how to play together and what's prevalent. Yeah, and I think it's just like you say pantaloons here and you say jeans in this region of the country, you know, like whatever it is. I think that's just, you know, we're not good at like communicating on a really like, and we don't have a way to, it's like, wrestling in the early days you know or something like that um that's why i did things like improv utopia and the network to try to like pull people together but yeah i like you know de- after the pandemic it's changed so much so that question is really weird like I, I don't know what's happening in la right now like back when i was there it was all chicago style herald you know io then ucb split off and then you know there was the groundlings but that was something different so we would just do the Herald and that's all we knew. Herald night, Herald night. No one in LA probably knew what that meant. Out here, it's more like curb appeal shows like Last Laugh Standing and this is the show, you know, like mockumentary now, like, you know, very like thematic stylized shows um, taking forms, but not going like we're doing the uh, documentary form tonight. You mm-hmm. know, it's like documentary night, which would be fun but mockumentary now it's a show it's a package it's a show they're selling a show and an experience so that's the kind of stuff we're creating out here right now post pandemic and because i didn't have much time out here before the panic to see that but i think it was pretty sporadic out here Uh, but genres things like that there's tons of that kind of variety here every show's different which is nice that's really interesting i think there's that's something we could use more of in la because it makes it accessible to the audience. I think there's something about sort of the nondescript long form improv that happens in LA that, that audiences who maybe aren't familiar with improv, they don't know what they're watching necessarily. So even like putting it a little curb appeal, putting it in a package just makes it accessible to the audience. And I think, I think it, it also just shows a level of care from the improviser standpoint. It's not just like, Hey, we're just here to, play around on stage like we're like you said where you're, it's a show that you're selling yeah you're selling an experience mm-hmm. you're coming in they're gonna laugh 
that's fine. It's a comedy show. You got that one checked off. But if you want them to come back or you want them to really deeply like your show, it's got to be an experience. It's got to be a show. It's got to be a package deal. And that's what I put on the stage at Rise. It's like it's got to be something different in something. And I then they expect it. So if we challenge them from a theater standpoint and they know what's going to get on stage and they're going to create those shows. So it does come a little bit from leadership and sometimes leadership ship can get lazy at places. It's just plug and play, plug and play. And that was, I think a lot of the big theaters in LA specifically were plug and play. Some of those shows just, here's my thing every week. These are our shows, mm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So, and you know, that happens kind of taking a left turn do you because I know you come from theater and you're an actor before you were an improviser is it recognizable to you in what way improv changed your acting or changed how you approached acting did it um does it affect your your work on screen or on stage when you're doing scripted work at all that's a good question uh yes it's definitely changed the way I act because all the way I act now is as an improviser <laughs> you know so like yeah and it it really taught you to not worry and being in the moment and listen and not worry about the lines so when i'm in a tv show or a a play or whatever i'm doing a sketch it's like i still pretend i'm improvising i just have lines this time and what that does is it makes me change it all the time so i'm not just stuck in like a rut of the same going out there the same night. Cause that's how I used to be. Cause that's how you're trained. You do a rep for all summer and you do it the same way. So you can hit the same jokes, but audiences are different. And then they, if they start laughing at something weird in the beginning, you're like, well, this is going to go different. Cause they're laughing at this kind of stuff. So mm. if you're pretending like you're an improviser with lines, you're going to be able to change intention and thing like that. Knock your partner a little off their feet. So they're like having to react. Mm. I love that. Thanks. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Um, Pish was telling me before we got on, um, I don't remember how it came up, but that he really loves Rocky (laughs) Four. Yeah, I heard you're a big fan of Rocky Four. And that actually, I thought Jacob was messing with me when he mentioned that. No, my friend, one of my best friends, Jessica Young, who's also a great improviser, uh, we love Rocky Four. Like, I have gotten her custom paintings of Sylvester Stallone with an American flag from the end of Rocky four. She has that in her house. She has a clever Lang and Mr. T and a uh, uh, Rocky poster of them. Like the fight of this, you know, like a <laughs> fake poster from the movie. Like I get her stuff. We always get each other stuff, but we, we love it. Cause it's so insanely silly and good. Um, but I, Jacob and, uh, uh, and Natasha watched it with me and they were like, what is going on? <laughs> I was so, I it was so, see their point. Sh- so shocking. Yes. I mean, I was like watching the first Rocky, like I'd watched the first Rocky recently, like the first time since I was a kid. I don't even know if I'd seen the full thing before then. So then when we got to Rocky four, I was like, what is happening? This is like the craziest height I've ever seen. But Pish, you should. I feel like you need to rewrite Rocky Four, like you said, and like do like a. Oh yeah, I think I think Rocky Four is just a couple like plot changes away from being like another Oscar winner. Well, Pish, have you seen the new Rocky Four? <laughs> There's a director's cut. What? Yeah, it's called Rocky Four: Drago versus Rocky or something, and it's uh, he redid it and took the robot out and everything. Actually, <gasps> no, what you said is what he did to the movie. He made it an actual 
movie. Oh my god! Yeah, it's on Prime or something. Look at it's the rock. That's what I'm saying. It's like he took the robot out. Like, are we hearing ourselves? (laughs) Well, look, you have to understand. In like '87, I was in prime robot age in my life, so I was all in. (laughs) (laughs) You you throw in living in America with all that fireworks as a kid. You're like, I'm in. Screw this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I'm just now realizing I don't think I've ever seen Rocky Four. Well. Sylvester Stallone single-handedly ended the Cold War. So. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. So once you watch if the movie, if he can you'll change, understand. you can change. We all can change. Look, all I'm saying is that movie came out in '87. The wall was down by '89. <laughs> okay, I'll put it I, on the list. Also, we invented Mr. T. Wow. That. If if I think if if we keep going down this rabbit hole, I think we can get to the point where we realize that Sylvester Stallone. Like created improv as he's like the in, big probably. bang of this universe. Nick, I want you to uh, spin I want you to spin some sort of improv philosophy lesson from from the Rocky Four uh morals of the story. Like what can we learn about improv from Rocky Four? Never give up. <laughs> Sometimes there's going to be a Goliath in front of you, but you can get past that and take it down. You got to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. A, you can do a lot of montage scenes. <laughs> in yeah. improv, like you do in Rocky Four. There's like six, six like montages in that. That script's got to be like four pages long. Like dialogue here, and I'm going to do a Lamborghini. Uh, montage okay training montage little scene with adrian and then back to the montage montage. there's literally a commercial for the montage (laughs) i'm serious literally in rocket board there's a montage a one-page script break and then back to the montage montage. a very dramatic scene with adrian yes very dramatic oh when they're yelling at each other oh that was earlier that oh, was okay. earlier. That's you where she win. shows up in Russia. Yeah. And then he has the inspiration to really take his montage up a notch. Yeah. Okay, so heightening. Yeah. The He's Rocky heightening. Four form. Uh-huh. This feels like a form we need to try. <laughs> where it's just, <laughs> just like montage, montage, montage. One really grounded scene. scene. Montage, montage, <laughs> montage. That's a new form. Let's do it. That's yeah, like a, that's, that's a new like form. A the Rocky Four. Just a lot of petals. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so great. Uh, um, do you uh, go, go ahead, for it, him, Natasha? No, you go. I just talked about Rocky Four. I got. I feel like my soul's my soul's happy for the moment. All right, fine. <laughs> what do you feel like is the difference, if there is any, like for you when you're playing with a duo versus when you're playing in an ensemble? Do you approach anything differently? Not my style. You know, definitely be more of a tennis match. You don't want to talk too much because there's two of you you know you don't have like a third person or fourth you don't get a break on the side so you really kind of get a gauge that a little bit more i do slow down a little bit in a duo show especially like i play with rev a lot at festivals and stuff and we our show's just weird like so we just follow the weird like it's just all different depending on who the person is too just in case someone listening doesn't know you're talking about rev mclean from off the cuff in yeah. cedar city yeah shout out rev 
The shadow for Rub. Yeah. <laughs> shadow Rub. We found, because Pish and I, we've been playing together just out of, because everyone else is gone. But the, one of the <laughs> bigger challenges is knowing when to edit and how to edit. We're doing because we're in the scene so much with each other that we it's easy to get carried away. Yeah, that's a tough one. Like, like you know, because sometimes you're like, oh, we're just been stuck in this scene for a very long time. I guess we're going to do it for the rest of the show. <laughs> like, you know, because if we we're, haven't edited 10 minutes into the show, I think we're going to think like, that's weird now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, There is a certain yeah. threshold where I think you're kind of like, well, you know, it could go either way. Yeah. So... Nick, I feel like you obviously are taking the charge on like building improv community, but as an improviser still, do you find yourself wanting to continue to grow or is it just like you're at a point right now where it's like, I'm just happy to get up on stage and not have to worry about the alarm going off? I think a little bit of both, column A, column B. Um, recently, I've been trying to enrich myself outside of improv to inform my improv, trying to do that out here and re-inspire myself because, you know, I've been doing it for a long time and running the business of it, it all gets tiring. Uh, and you do get tired of it, you know, even though it's a dream job, sometimes your dream job's shitty, but you're still happy to have it. But yeah, I, you know, uh, sometimes I just want to go up there and goof around and that's like my stress relief. But there's part of me that wants to like, I was saying I'm so happy Jacob and, and Natasha are here because I have veteran improvisers that I can play with. And I think that's good. So, yeah. So pushing myself, trying to figure out what's next for me in improv. You know, I think you always have a five-year change, a check-in with yourself in improv, especially as, as long as I've been doing it. You're like, this five years, I'm, you know, I used to roll around on the stage all the time and hit my head and do that. Now I like stand and don't do that. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, there's things I don't do as well anymore, like environment work. I'm way lazy like i know like i'm not an idiot like i see myself doing it so sometimes you can get in that rut you know and then but then you just gotta go i gotta challenge myself because then it's just not gonna be fun in five more years if you keep in that pattern you're gonna you're gonna die out mm. so as an artist you always have to keep growing like you know picasso didn't just stay in his blue period forever <laughs> he was like you know he was like in the cubist something at the end i don't know it's like that's a pretty good height and <laughs> no i mean when it makes sense blue if you, to like cubes come on cube, yeah. he's like i could do another 10 years of cubes yeah um. i like th i like thinking about your artistic path like that like in a picasso kind of way of like yeah we were doing this for a while and now we're doing something different yeah. i think it's why artists change their names sometimes or you like you mm -hmm. you know if you're a musician and you use the same name people are like i expect a specific kind of music from you yeah. sometimes they'll like get mad at you because they're like you can't change you're not allowed to oh they know? always do that like i mean the beatles called them sergeant pepper's lonely heart clubs band that they did that because they didn't want to be the beatles they wanted to yeah and, which revolutionized the way they did it and they changed this these days they would have been like no how dare you like change yeah. Back then, it was like cool to have that. Okay, well, Storm Chaser needs to change our name. Finally, <laughs> the Storm Chase. Chasers. Riders, <laughs> riders of the storm. Riders. Yes. Oh, I'm into it. I really like that idea of trying to play with people who are better than you and changing what you do so you don't find yourself in the same thing. Because, like, even stepping on stage with you, Nick, I was like, oh, I need to do this more because. 
you don't play like anybody I've ever played with. I was like, oh, this is like really new, fresh energy for me. Even though I've watched you a lot, it was still different to be met with it. And I could see where it would help me grow in my play because you are, you jump on it, the thing so fast. Like I'm like, oh, I'm not, I was like, I'm like molasses comparatively to King 10. And so I was like, oh, this would be good for me to jump before I'm ready yeah. and to like learn how to jump before I'm ready. Because, and again, it goes back to the philosophies. Like we want to get out there faster than the other person. Cause we don't want the older brother to get the joke or the fun mm. moment. Like, so you're just hopping on everything. <laughs> it's like, you know, you have to speak up or you're not going to be heard, you know, at the dinner table yeah. or whatever. So it's like, we have that mentality and I've just been trained to like Travis said early, like ripping the poster off immediately. You just do things immediately and people will like it because you're making a decision so fast. Mm. So it's instant reaction. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about surprise, like finding surprise in improv and comedy. And that definitely speaks to that. Like it's it happening oh, yeah. so fast. There's no way you could have like planned it. And that's why it's magical. You know, because it, it is like watching a magic show at that point. If they go slow, the audience can catch up to you mm. very easily. If you're going super fast, you're a century ahead of them. And they're going to laugh because the surprises are going to keep coming. And they're going to keep coming for you as a performer. You're going to be like, oh, I didn't expect that. I got to respond. Like, you know, <laughs> like, and you're in survival mode. So you're just going and relying on your you know, you're just relying on what you have. It's like, it's like Rocky four. You see, um, he's in the end and he's got to be himself. Yes. Well done. Well, that's a callback, a of, everybody. A call, that's what that callback. Okay. Snaps. I, I find myself, you know, in a moment of hesitation to jump and then I'll jump. Right. But then the audience is already ahead of you. And also I noticed in younger improvisers that that like place of judgment or insecurity, that hesitation, the moment's hesitation, it is the difference between the, being ahead of the audience and not. Mm -hmm. I mean, beyond just like telling people to do it, like how do you like get, like when you're teaching or coaching, like how do you get that hesitation out of somebody's body? Is it just repetition? Are there specific exercises? Is it, you know... Is it something they can do in their life? I don't think if any exercise can fix that. I think a a coach has to push somebody and see how comfortable mm -hmm. they are first with being pushed. Like in my 501 class, I teach advanced character and nobody likes to play character when they're younger and improv. Like it's hard and it's silly and it makes them look dumb and they get all self-conscious and they hesitate a ton. But what I do is go like, you are going to be uncomfortable for eight weeks and this is not going to be great <laughs> because if you've come this far and you've paid my theater this much money to get here, I'm going to give you what you need to succeed. And so you, and I wouldn't do this in a one-on-one -on -one class, by the way, but like if they've come this far to learn, then I have to teach them how to do it. I have to stop them from being hesitant. So I have to see their behavior, how it's starting, where they're getting that behavior from, and then try to untie it. So if they're on stage and they're hesitating, I'll say it. I said, you're hesitating. You're hesitating. Go back. Stop. Go do it again. You can't hesitate or I'm going to stop it. And you can't get off stage until you don't hesitate. Mm. And then it's just like anything going to a gym. They're just a muscle. And we're, we, they call us coaches and teachers for a reason. We're coaching them. It's kind of like Rocky four when we're <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Creed when he's the manager now. 
Yeah, he's, dude, you got to shadow box yourself. <laughs> it all comes back to Rocky. I mean, we all know that. No, but yeah, that's that's the case, though. I think it, it, there's a lot that relies on a coach because that is something they're battling, and they can overcome it. But they need a trainer to work it out of them. I mean, that's just my philosophy on it. People probably have all sorts of ways, but I've seen that be effective and work. I would say the 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 coaches that we had as a team. I learned more from the coaches I had than I ever did from any class I took. The classes are great to like learn the language and kind of like build community and like understand like how it works. But as far as like personal growth, coach is way more efficient. Well, it's like by the time you're done with a class, you finally know like the teacher and the student finally know each other. And that's where you really get going, which is why you like stick with a coach for longer mm -hmm. so that you're like, now I know when to push you and how to push you because I finally know you pretty well. I think in class, you're subconsciously learning the stuff, you know, like the moves yeah. and the things, and it's getting sense memory into you and that, and you don't realize that that is in you when you go into these other places and you just don't recognize it, but you're just doing it because you're like a baby soaking up everything in a class, you know, and you don't realize it, but you're doing, you would just end up doing it. So. Mm, no, that's true. Yeah. What would you say is Rise's like education, mission, and philosophy? This is something kind of Josh really pushed because he was an education director at Westside and also uh, Specs. And and I have this philosophy too because I had been teaching forms. Uh, I taught at I/O. I taught at Groundlings. I taught all these you know different places and schools, and they all have different philosophies. But like. I just never liked the fact that we were making improvisers doing forms when they didn't even know how to improvise well yet. Because no matter what form you do, if your improv is shit, it's not going to be fun <laughs> for you or the audience. So like Josh and our philosophy is like um, skills based. So making sure they have all the skills it takes that we think you need in order to succeed as a performer in improv. So that's listening, discovery, um, that's stage presence, that's character because they get in touch with their emotions and acting. And we do an early one in that and a later advanced one later. And then ensemble, which uh, Natasha is teaching right now. And the ensemble mm. is, it's not just how to be an ensemble, it's how to be an ensemble, but how to be a successful ensemble. Like what does it take? Now this, team might not but what does it take to be a good show wow and that's not performed. that's just like whatever anatasha feels she wants to do with the team and her experience in ensemble it has been like, very fun yeah ensemble is is a it's a hard thing partially because of what you said about teams growing organically and being like, yeah, like whether that fit is there or not will become very apparent as they start to do shows yep. and it may not be there or they might be like, oh my gosh, you, oh you, I want to, I know I want to play with you. And that's something that I think can be discovered just by, just by playing, but then you don't, you don't know until you know. Yeah. And like, you know, with classes, rarely is it going to happen that that class team is going to go on for five years or something, or even one, maybe one. 
but that's it. So it just, you know, organically happens even at the class. Like it's like one, one of those once in a lifetime things, a once in a decade thing where you get a mix of people that just hit this class, they love each other, and then they become the next, you know, USS rock and roll or, or whatever, you know. That was another great team on Wednesday nights. Dang, they were good. Yeah, that was <laughs> like, the thing I loved about them is because we were crazy and they did improv really well. Like, you know, like, <laughs> so at least like if people saw us and like those idiots, at least we like they were doing the art. You know, like, so like, it balance out the night. You're yeah, like, there are artists, out, like, we're psychos. Okay, yeah, you're gonna see. Oh, that's gonna get you in classes. That wants we want to make you have another drink. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea that each team could have like a thing where you're like, that's what they kind of leave the audience with. You make the audience want to party. And they make the audience be like, I think I should sign up for a class. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if you compare us to USS Rock and Roll, I think the same skill level and two way different heralds. If you yeah. want to see like a herald can be different, you watch us compared to them. Completely different, but all great in their own ways. Yeah. This might be kind of a heady question, Nick, but I was talking with a friend of mine who's a writer. And we were discussing the question because, you know, through the pandemic, I think it's been difficult for artists in a lot of different ways. Um, we were talking about like why we do what we do and why we care about creating art and what inspires people to do something passionately with, you know, passion and for their livelihood like you and I'm still struggling with that question and I'm wondering if it even needs to be answered. You've talked about how you've kind of followed your path along intuitively somewhat, but I'm wondering if you could put words to why improv is important to you, because I feel like we all feel that in some way or else we wouldn't be doing this podcast yeah, now, totally. but in those darker moments, sometimes it's difficult. I, I mean, it, every person's different and my journey is as much different than everybody else's. Like, Somehow I tried things when I was younger. I tried sports. I tried this, but nothing spoke to me more than like getting a reaction out of somebody. And that made me feel good. And it was like a drug. And I didn't do drugs. Um, but like I that was my drug. And like I was addicted to it. And I had to do it and I had to keep doing it. And at first I was just obsessed with it. And I'm like, well, if I'm obsessed with it, I've never been this passionate about anything in my life, you know? And I think a lot of people, including my parents, I could say, that generation, which would be the, the baby boomers, they had that spark of like, oh my God, I could be this thing, this artist or even this whatever, this painter. But I can't because that's not a lifestyle that I can have. And then they crush that spark. I think Robin Williams said something like, you only get one chance to ignite that spark. And if you pass it up, it's gone pretty much. Like that thing, that moment in time, because you make, and now it doesn't mean you can't get older, but if you started there, that spark, that thing. And I think that always, that kind of resonates with me a little bit. It's like just... Like, don't ignore your gut, like go with what you like and what makes you passionate. And like, for me, I was already poor growing up. So like money, I was like, well, I know how to survive without money. 
So this is a perfect profession. (laughs) But seriously, like I knew how to live cheap. I knew how to manage that. That's my background. You know, that's what pushed me. It's like, I don't, I don't see this as a money making thing. It just, if I'm going to live this life, because I had such a, maybe a shittier younger life that I was going to live it and have the best time that I could. And that always led me to that kind of stuff. Those decisions. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. So I think it has I think it has a lot to do with people's backgrounds, whether they get squashed or let I could have been I probably should have been squashed. But <laughs> I, I for some reason I, I got out somehow. It's like Rocky Four. Yeah, it's like you know <laughs> he can't st- he couldn't stay away even when they said no, man, if yeah. you get punched, I'm you're retired. Die. No. I can't, I can't. Um you said that you're doing some things outside of improv. Um, like new hobbies or something to to bring to improv, are they things that you're finding yourself passionate about uh, as well? And what are they? It's called just meeting people. No, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like I'm a writer too because I did the Groundlings and sketch and stuff like that, and that's something I kind of lost contact with a long time ago after the Groundlings, and I, I, you know, I wrote a couple pilots and things, but I just stopped and kind of let that spark extinguish. So kind of like trying to get that fire going again, been going to these writing classes. And even though I know how to like write these things, it's just been like nice to go and feel different styles and like listen to other people and like be encouraged by like other people's work. So I go to this thing every Tuesday where it's like you get with a group of writers and they're all writing different things, books, self-help, whatever from, and then I'm like writing a TV show or something and we get together and you have to shut your phone off. You have to be focused and you have to just write for 90 minutes. You can't stop. And then the last half hour, you all get together with different groups of people different every week. And you talk about your project. They give you a bunch of questions to ask each other and like you can help each other out and stuff like that. So it's like I meet new people that are not in the improv world. And then it's another part of the art that I is still like newer to me at this point uh, because I've kind of taken a break from it. So it, that's kind of what I do. It sounds really cool. Yeah. I was like, oh, I love it. Accountability, community, feedback. They also have like snacks and wine and stuff. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, can I come? Yeah. <laughs> Fly, on out. Fly on out over. Do I have to write something or can I just come and like eat the snacks? Yeah, you can just eat. You could pay like the money and just go get drunk in the kitchen if you want. Okay, cool. That sounds so fun. It's Travis, aren't you trying to lose 10 pounds before our next show? Why don't you mind your own business, <laughs> Andrew? <laughs> Look, Fish, it's okay. We get it. You want to find better people to play with. <laughs> you know, I'm, you need to play with people who are better than you. You can't keep slumming it with us. I think I might need to go to Russia. <laughs> <laughs> Got to train there, take the steroids, do all the electronic uh, workout machines. He's more mm-hmm. man, machine than man. Well, uh, is there anything anything else like improv that you you want to like talk about or chat about that's like on your mind or that you're working on specifically i don't know i guess you know what i would tell my self i just thought of this or what i would tell younger improvisers remember this is supposed to be fun like you know like i know you're trying to get it 
you're trying to like master it. You're not going to for like five years or more till you get to a place. You got to be patient. And if you don't want to be patient, just don't do it. Do short form or something, you know, like don't don't torture yourself. It's got to be fun. And my biggest, my biggest philosophy too, is like, if you're going to do something for free, like most of us do on stage, sometimes you better be having fun and you better be learning something because if you aren't accomplishing those things, then you're just wasting your time. Hmm. The end credits. The end, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show. You can find us on all of the socials. That's right, the social media programs. We're on Instagram and TikTok at Storm Chaser Improv. We've also got videos on YouTube. Just search for us at Storm Chaser Improv. We've got shows. We've also got clips from our podcast. And you can find all the other links that we have to get tickets to our shows and find other projects that we're working on at the link in our bio on Instagram. And of course, my friends, if you enjoyed this podcast, push all the buttons, share it, like it, subscribe to it. And if you're listening on iTunes, give us a little five star review. That would be fantastic. This is my friend, Travis Lincoln Cox. This is my friend, Andrew Pish. And this is my friend, Anatasha Blakely. Thank you so much for listening. See you all again soon. Thank you for listening to the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show.